Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Revelation 1, 1 through 20. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Revelation in your Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth." To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to, be, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced, who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. When I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like the fl a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged two -edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." It's tough. <laughs> Clapping. <laughs> tough names. Well, um, in the beginning was the end. I, I, that sounds really weird, right? Like, so in the beginning was the end. Uh, I, I say that because we're, we're actually going to start this series on Revelation kind of at the end. 
And, and the reason I want to do that is because I think in order to understand everything that happens between what Sam just read and what happens at the end, uh, we, we need the end. And I say that to say also that in the very beginning, when God spoke the world into creation, that the end of things was already in mind, uh, th- that the motion was already set to, to end up where it will end up. Uh, it's going to make sense when we get to it, hopefully. Um, uh, but we're doing the book of Revelation, and um, actually, I wanna, I'll read the end, actually, for us first. Uh, before I do that, though, I, I'm excited. We're not going to go all through the book of Revelation. Um, there's a lot of stuff there, and I have a pastor friend who's, who preached the Revelation for like a year. I won't do that to you because there's other things we need to hear. Um, but I, I, I want you at the beginning of this, though, uh, to take the things you think you might know uh, about this book, this marvelously misunderstood book, and just kind of set it aside for a moment. You don't have to like reject it, uh, but just open up a space in your mind to hear how uh, maybe a different, than, a different reading might be than, than how you maybe have heard it presented in the past. Well, uh, Revelation 21, 6, 21, 1 through 6 is where I want to start and where I think this story, the whole story of all of creation and the whole biblical story where this ends up. Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give gifts of water from the springs of the water of life. Uh, I I love this part of Revelation. There's a part in Isaiah that sounds a lot familiar. And, And the dominant picture that I want you to see from this, from this passage at the very end of the book, is that all things come together, Uh, that the world doesn't necessarily get destroyed like in the movies or the Left Behind series, uh, but that God restores and renews and remakes what he has already made, undoing the brokenness and the hurt and the sickness. And he makes it all new, again, not all new things, but all things new. And that the picture is of God coming and making his home among us that God has taken such a concern and a care for the things that he has created that he doesn't want to destroy it and just do it all over again, but, but comes and, and dwells in and among us, finally driving out all of the darkness, the death. This 
story that we are going to tell over the next couple of weeks is ultimately a story of hope. It is not, it may seem dark and drastic. And there are bits of that, but we'll get into that in a second. But it is ultimately about the hope of what God is, has done, what God is currently doing in this moment through folks like you and us, through the church, through those who faithfully followed Christ, and what God is doing for the end when all things will be made whole. That's the dominant image as we go through the next couple of weeks that I want you to have stuck in your head. God is working to be with us for the rest of eternity. Well, with that in mind, like I said, I want you to keep an open mind um, about what we go forward. Uh, a couple of things we need to say to, to kind of set the context for this. So um, John is writing this letter, and he's in the, sometime during the first century after Jesus was, uh, was crucified and, and raised from the dead. And during that first century, there was a tremendous amount of persecution from the Roman Empire. Uh, Christians were not well liked. They got persecuted from the Jews and from the Romans. Uh, and, and things were not always good and right in their, in their situations. Uh, and so John writes this work as a letter. Because uh, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a letter. It's part other things as well. But he's writing to these seven churches. Um, which it really he's meant for this to be kind of shared broadly too. He's writing to these seven churches to give them, well, a little hope, to give them encouragement, to give them, uh, well, some correction as well, because not all of them are, are doing just what they should. Uh, it's a chronic problem with humanity. We don't always do what we should. Those of you who have parents know that. Uh, those of you who are parents, not have parents, because we all have parents, I think, at some point. Anyway. Um, so it, it's a letter, and it, it's, it's written to these, these Christians who are trying to live faithfully in the first century. At the same time, it is written to every Christian who has and who will live for the same reasons. It is written to us to give us hope of what God is doing here and in the future. It is written to give us encouragement that we might continue to be faithful in all of the things that God has commanded us to do in loving him and loving our neighbor as ourselves. It is written also to correct us, to point out some things that we do perhaps that aren't quite up to, up to par and help us to, to change and to shift. Uh, with that being said, uh, it's a letter, but it's written in a, in a well, in kind of two different, uh, well, let me back up for just a second. Because it's a letter and because it's the churches, it was meant to be read and talked about within the context of a gathering of worship. Uh, it was meant to be part of the church's worship and helping them to form a greater and better understanding of who they are supposed to be in relation to who Christ is and what Christ is calling them to be. Does that make sense? It's a letter, it's hopeful, it's encouraging, it's correcting, it's written to all of us, and it's written in like kind of two different styles. Uh, it's written in, in what we would call apocalyptic literature, 
in a prophetic style. Now, we are, we are, we're fairly uh, familiar with the, the prophetic, right? Because we just spent a whole bunch of weeks on Amos. This is not like that, but it is, it's, it's like and not like that. Um, but maybe we, won't, we aren't as, as uh, familiar with what we would call the apocalyptic literature. Now, there, there, was a, uh, there was a period of time in Israel's history that this kind of literature was really uh, was popular. About 200 years before Jesus and about 100 years after Jesus. And it was a style that, that made use of a lot of things. And, and I'm going to give you some characteristics of these things that, that help make sense of it. Um, but it, John necessarily wouldn't have applied that word apocalyptic to it. Now, uh, we have to define the word apocalyptic or apocalypse. Um, how many of you, when I say that word, have an image of things blowing up and global food shortages and Nicolas Cage? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why his face pops into my mind when I think about uh, really terrible apocalyptic movies, but it does. Uh, Maybe Kevin Bacon, too. I don't know. Uh, but it's come to mean like the destruction of all things. Uh, the Walking Dead TV show. That is like a, a post-apocalyptic television show. Uh, you guys remember the, the, the movie 2012, where the world ends and there's a flood? and I don't know. It was good. I liked it. Uh, not, not in reality. I wouldn't like that flooded thing. Okay. Uh, but things like that, that has come to mean what apocalyptic means. But in the original language, what apocalyptic means is just to reveal, to uncover, and to make known. And so John says at the very beginning of this that this is something, he's having a vision that, that Jesus has revealed to him um, about, about things and what God is doing in the world. So uh, a couple of uh, common elements that I think will help us as we begin to read this. Uh, and I, I've I've straight up stolen a lot of this from a book called Answers for Chicken Little by a guy named Dan Boone. Not like Daniel Boone, but, but just Dan Boone. Okay. I try to be funny, Deb, and I just don't know what happens. Okay. Uh, his name is Dan Boone, and it's only, it's really little, and it's got really little, little bitty chapters, and if you would like it, I can point you to where you can get it. I think it's helpful in a really easily accessible kind of way. So, uh, answers for Chicken Little. The sky is falling. Yeah. Only, only uh, his assertion is that the sky is not falling. Uh. Okay. So, common elements are, it, is, uh, it has a, a, a level of dualism. In, in other words, it is an epic battle between good and evil. It's Harry Potter before Harry Potter. Because that's what Harry Potter is, an epic battle between good and evil, right? Uh, it, it pits God and the forces of good and evil and creation in this world against uh, the forces of darkness and, and destruction, some of which are fully human. Uh, so we have this uh, good versus evil kind of thing. It is uh, pessimistic. Or, as I accused my sister of being pessimistic one time, she replied, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. So, so take that as you, as, you, as you might. I hope she's not listening. Yeah, she's not. What am I saying? Uh, that that it, 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 it claims the reality that things in this world are not good. It, it points to the fact that there is 
pain and suffering and destruction already at work within our world. Uh, this pessimism, though, will be tempered uh, by the prophecy part of, part of these things. Three, it uses lots and lots of imagery. Lots of things like, he appeared like, or it was as if. All those things you learned maybe in high school grammar that I never did, apparently, um, about metaphor and simile. And uh, all of these fantastic images have the opportunity, the ability to distract us completely from what God is trying to say through John in this letter. Uh, The people who would have read John's letter very first would not have taken his images literally. There were way to kind of unmask and reveal the things that were already at work within the world and the way that God is is coming into them. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some of these things are literal. Some of the things that John sees in the heavenly throne room, uh, Jesus' appearance in, the, in this first thing, um, it, it doesn't have to all be imagery, but that's the, that's the way in which John is writing to us. Um, everybody's favorite, numerology. So numbers have meanings. Now, there's a lot of people who will like, do a lot of study and do a lot of math but it's really not that complicated. There's a a couple of basic things. The number seven always refers to wholeness. It is the number of completion and perfectness. Seven churches, not an accident. It means the whole people of God. Um, Three and a half will be incompleteness. Uh, Six also will be incompleteness. Put three sixes together, you get the, the beast's name. That's a whole lot of incompleteness and unwholeness. Unwholeness? Uh, The numbers 12 and 24 and 144,000, which will appear throughout, mean the whole people of God. It 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 is all of God's people. That's just kind of what those things mean at a very, very high level. Beyond that, there's no more math to do. Um, It is not meant to be a puzzle which you need to decode and put together and string in a timeline to find out that the world ended in 1988. Okay, because throughout the, the entire course of human history, and in that book, uh, Dan Boone talks about uh, the year 1990, or not 1999, he didn't, yeah, uh, 999, when they took the whole millennium thing uh, seriously and said, well, on January 1st, 1,000, I almost said 2,000. Like the world was going to end and Jesus was all going to fall apart and they woke up on January 1st, year two, or 1,000 and everything was just like it is. It happens over and over and over again when we try to, to do the math, which isn't there. Five, there is a lot of repetition. Uh, Revelation was written using cycles of visions uh, which are not meant to be laid out into a single timeline. Uh, if you want to think about it, there's kind of like a circle that just keeps going forward like this. Uh, that these things, uh, he's saying the same things kind of over and over again. And he does this because we're stupid. <laughs> I am at least. 
Uh, that's why we have to preach about Jesus every week because we don't get it. We need the same story told over and over and over again. Six, suffering. Suffering. Apocalyptic literature is written when things go bad. Uh, you won't find it in the middle of King David's reign. You'll find a lot of jubilant psalms. Uh, it's written when, when things are bad for God's people. And it's, a, it's written to give hope, like we've said from the very beginning. Seven. Seven? See how I did that? Uh, it was written to describe past, present, and future realities. It, it is written in such a way that it was relevant for John's readers in the first century. And it was relevant for Christians all throughout between then and now. And it is relevant for us today uh, as, we, as we need the hope, the images of hope, as we need the images of encouragement, as we need the correction. When we make it, though, when we try to stretch it out into the timeline and make it just about us, we end up missing we end up missing the reality of what is trying to be said to us. It, it, uh, it does away with the fact that, that John was writing to people who were actively suffering persecution in the first century. It's written to them, but it's written to us as well. Uh, and when we focus on, on just the here and now, we end up distorting Revelation's message. And we can take all kinds of things and make it say whatever it is that we want it to say. Uh, and a lot of people in a lot of time have, have, uh, uh, have taken those things and written books and making lots of money. So, okay, so that's apocalyptic literature. Uh, some common elephants, uh, elephants, elements of prophetic literature. A, it's a confession that God is the creator. We, we, we started out with that with the kids, right? Alpha and Omega. God was there when the world begun. So part of what Revelation is, is a confession that God is in control of things and that the world is not going to fly apart as long as God is on the watch. Common element number two is God is, uh, is a covenant maker and keeper. That passage at the very beginning that we read about God making his home among us is God keeping his covenant with creation? It is God saying, I, even though you have been unfaithful to me, I am going to remain faithful to you and redemption and restoration even in the midst of your unfaithfulness. Prophetic literature, like Amos even, is all about God's continued faithfulness, God's eternal faithfulness, to the community that he has created, to the creation that he's created, to the church that he has created. Next, God has called himself, uh, called to himself a people. In the Old Testament, that was Israel. Israel never gets to stop being part of God's people. But after Jesus, God calls the church to join with him to be a kingdom of priests, a priestly kingdom one that gives witness and proclaims the good news about what God is doing in the world, that says to a world that is so broken and hurting that Christ has come, Christ has died, and Christ has come again, will come again. 
Those words that we say every week when we receive the Lord's Supper. It is the message of the good news of God's covenant loyalty and faithfulness. By the way, um, in the midst of that, we have to remember that we read the book of Revelation. We have to read it in light of everything else that has happened in the Bible to this point. We can't just cut it off from the end and read it as if nothing else has happened before, which is what some people do. But that we read the story that John tells in the light of God's love for creation through creation from Adam and Eve and to Noah and to Abraham and to the kings, King David and the prophets through Jesus, through the early church, through us. Uh, We have to flip that around too and read the rest of scripture kind of with the lens of revelation hanging out over here as well. Next, Jesus is to be the king and Lord of all, establishing a perfect and right kingdom. This, like I said at the beginning, in the beginning was the end. The establishment of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. It was not plan B for God to dwell in and amongst us. It was always plan A. We just had to mess it up. God gave us what we wanted. Next, God dwells among creation. Uh, at At the very end of today's passage, we'll go for it here, let me find it. I put like the whole thing uh, my slides here. This is verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven gold, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Uh, the image that we get here is that God is in this moment sitting in among the church. That this is... Uh, that God is dwelling with his creation even now. Uh, That you and I as God's church, as his uh, priestly kingdom, as as the ones that God loves and has sent out on on a mission who might endure hardship, hardship and persecution in this world, the thing that we have to remember is that the image of God coming and living with us, it is a future reality and that's going to be different and better, but God is still already among us now, that Christ has made his home in our midst so that we can be faithful, Uh, to use the words that John will use, so that we can conquer. Uh, Don't conquer the outside. We, we, We conquer our own inability to be faithful, our own inability to live and give witness truly to the the good news of Jesus Christ and Christ's coming kingdom and this image of hope that we have. Finally, evil has ended. That's the ultimate word. That where, where God is, where God makes his home, evil and darkness will not persist. 
that the image, the image at the end of Revelation is that we will need no sun because God's brightness and his light casts out all darkness. The book of Revelation is about hope. It is about encouragement in the midst of things that are wrong and bad, in the midst of suffering and persecution. And that's how we are going to read it as we go forward. God has not come. Well, maybe we'll say it like this. We'll use the other John. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we've got to add verse 17, which says, for God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. That's the gospel. John, John's Jesus says it in the gospel, and Jesus says it here at the end of all things. So uh, normally I have questions for you to, to ponder as we receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, today, I just want you to reflect on the fact that uh, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is coming again stands now in our midst. That he is here, calling you to faithful obedience, calling you to loving him and your neighbor as yourself. And that regardless of how things are and, and how bad it might get, that Christ is here among us, working for our restoration, for our redemption, working for the restoration of the world and the final and full restoration of creation. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.